the uh, sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. We're already rolling here. So when you, you grew up in, uh, is it Ohio? You grew up there. Then when, when did you move over to Morgantown? Yeah, so I was born in Cleveland, um, and we moved when I was eight years old. Um, I've got one brother, older brother, who also went to Morgantown High School. Uh, he's three years older than I am. Uh, we moved in 1977. My dad was the uh, was hired as the new chairman of the music division at West Virginia University. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's got a full kind of a whole musical family kind of thing. My brother was the one that didn't go into music, but nevertheless, we all were musical. And uh, yeah, and so I grew up, you know, uh, kind of in that whole college environment because I was taking violin lessons from university professors, and so I would, you know, come after school, I would take the PRT over or run across the street, depending on which school I was attending and, um, go down into the practice rooms. I got to know all the college students and, cool. uh, it was kind of fun. And I, and I actually, uh, b- believe it or not, I was actually in two, uh, university musical productions. I played the lead in, uh, the wow. show Oliver, if you know that show, um, yeah. you know, and, uh, cause they, cause it, it had a children's chorus and they had the, the lead as a kid. So I, you know, auditioned for this thing. My mom is a classic stage mom. She's like, you're going to memorize this and you're going to get this ready. And it was like American Idol before American Idol, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I did that show and it, it, and it made a huge impact on me because, uh, it taught me how to, how to perform on a stage. I, you know, I'd been this musician for a long time. My mother started me at the age of two and a half. You can believe that back in wow. Cleveland. She's a violin teacher. So she taught at the university in what's called the prep department. So she taught all the kids of, you know, university professors or whoever in town, they wanted their kids to go to, you know, go to my mom to teach. So, so yeah. So I grew up playing the violin the whole time. I played some piano. Uh, my grandmother was a piano teacher. So there was all of that, but having this, like, you know, this, this acting, element in there which is 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 great for any performer right to you to learn about your your body and how to how to communicate on stage and how to communicate to the last row you know that sort of thing so Mm -hmm. that 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 made a big impact on me i was also in fiddler on the roof playing what did i play uh the fiddle you got it. Play the fiddler. Play the like, fiddler and fiddler on the roof. This here? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Did I need to come prepped or no? It's, it's a good, it's a good <laughs> tour. Yeah. Easy yeah. quizzes. I'm not going to make anything hard for you guys. Yeah. 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 So you've been, I mean, yeah. you, you, were, you were a kid when you said you had a musical family. I mean, and you, I mean, you felt, you felt comfortable on stage since you were literally two years old. So it's to you, it's just like second nature to be performing and kind of expressing yourself in that manner. Well, I wouldn't say it's second nature. I mean, this is these are skills you have to learn. You know, sure. I think I played my first recital when I was four. So yeah, it was pretty early on. Um, but I will tell you this, I get extraordinarily nervous, believe it or not, to play the violin. And I used to have people tell me, uh, you know, oh, you just haven't done it long enough. You know, you'll get to a point where it'll be easy. And it really isn't. Part of it is because when you're when you're so committed to a, uh, you know, a vocation like this, you're practicing hours a day. My mother had me probably by the age of eight, I was doing two hours a day after school and then three to four hours on the weekend. So it's, you know, you hear about this in sports, right? That the hours, hundreds of hours and, uh, you know, you know, the Michael Jordans that they're, right. they're, they're putting all these hours in. And, and that's, that's really what it was all about. And when you, when you're into it that much, it means that you care all the more about the product that you're putting out. So I, I just, for me, I had a lot of, 
I wouldn't call it stage fright. It was just like deep nervousness that I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw up. And it's like, you know, if I was playing for people that I knew, I wanted to exceed their expectations. If it yeah. was people I'd never played for, then I really wanted them to to like, uh, you know, what I was doing. And um, I don't, you know, it's funny because people would ask me, "Were you nervous playing at the White House for all those years?" And it's 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 funny because by that point, no, I would say I wasn't nervous. Uh, I was focused on the mission, and 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 by that point, there's a lot of muscle memory involved, right? What I'm doing, and we're playing with music. I'm not having. There were occasionally situations where I was exposed. I had to do something special, uh, maybe televised, something like that. Yeah, you get nervous for that. I get nervous to play the anthem for, uh, you know, for Major League Baseball games or for Mountaineer games, things like that. There's that nerves. And this is a good thing, by the way. There's, there's, right. there's, you know, the adrenaline that you get. Yeah, it's all about being able to control those nerves. And I do master classes on this sort of thing. How to, how to manage your your nervousness and and get through something so that you're not crippling you know because that can happen performers have to have that happen from time to time even famous performers will will give up the stage performing because they just can't they can't get past you know the nerves, whatever yeah. their yeah whatever yeah. their issue is so um so yeah there's there's that that level of experience but then also level of of caring about what you're what you're putting out there you know and i've i've learned over time to to have you know, to not concentrate as much and actually focus on having fun. And so these last couple of years when I've done the Mountaineer games, I have, I actually, I'm actually having a lot of fun going out there and doing it, you know? Yeah. You're freed up to, yeah. Yeah. So, does it make sense if I tell you that like, I like black out when I public speak and like, I think, I mean, I prepare for it greatly. So I'm confident there. I'm so nervous before I give like a public speech. I'm like, you know, I want to like throw up, but then the minute I get going, it's like, it all, like I revert, I guess, back to my practice. And it's like, I, and I end up doing a decent job usually with like public speaking. I've been fortunate to give like a TEDx talk, like, but it's a weird feeling. I maybe be interested in hearing what you have to say. If you teach classes on this, like in the moment, I feel like I don't, I'll come out of it. Like, I don't, I hope it was good, but I barely even yeah. remember what no, I said, but like, it's, it's a great point. I, you know, I, I do, um, I get hired to do clinics. Uh, I'll go into high schools and work with high school orchestras and middle school orchestras and things like that. And um, I'll always find myself, you know, they'll be throwing me the scores ahead of time, you know, and some of this music I actually don't know. I mean, I know a lot of repertoire, but, you know, on the middle school level, they're playing stuff that, that I wouldn't have played. So I'm kind of like checking these scores out. And I'm, and I always have that sort of, the imposter syndrome that kicks in like, yeah. man, should I, should I even, should they be inviting me to do this? I never taught in high school. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have this, you know, the language of children in my head and knowing maybe what they, what they want or need or whatever. And, and so one of the things that helps me is when I'm listening to the orchestra, like, am I going to be able to help them? You know, when I'm, it's like, so there's so many things you could cover. And if I only have an hour with them, you know, what am I going to do? Or, or how am I going to fill an hour? It might be yeah. the opposite, you know, yeah. and, and what every time what happens is that you just, I just tell myself, focus on one thing, find one thing that you're going to oh. work on after you hear them play. And inevitably when I find that one thing, it, it dovetails into the next thing. And then I find myself, oh, oh, this was great, but you know what? We can work on this now. Let's, let's work on your bow speed now. Okay. Hey, that was really good. Now let's do dynamic range, you know? And then all this stuff, you have to trust that you have the knowledge to do this. There's a reason why you were invited to do it, right? So it's it's about trusting yourself and trusting the process. And if you have the experience, like in public speaking, you know you do well, but you're gonna you're gonna come into it 
a little bit apprehensive because, well, I want this one to be better and I want, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it, like I said, my muscle memory at the end of the day is the thing that kicks in. And so you have to trust that, that, you know, those instincts and, and, and go with your gut and, and, you know, usually it just, it, it kind of just flows out of you as it's been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. So take us from Morgantown high and you've already mentioned that you've been in the white house on your website, you've played for five presidents, I think. Has that number changed or is that still yeah. pretty Well, they were there were five sitting presidents. Of course, yeah. I played for former presidents that 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 came back in and that sort of well, we can get to that in a minute. So uh right. So I went to went to Morgantown High School. Um and uh and after when I graduated, I I, I went to uh to do my undergraduate work at Northwestern University. Uh-huh. Uh another team in the in in the in the dance. Yeah, really the excited big dance. about that. Yeah, the big dance. A great year. Yeah, Northwestern a great, a great year. year. Yeah. My my sons are uh uh I've got three sons and two of them are Indiana University, so they're excited because Indiana yep. made the dance. Yep. And yep. then my yep. brother my brother went to Princeton and Princeton is in the wow. dance. I mean, this, yeah, it's crazy. Whole we don't think is. this has ever happened. The whole family's yeah. in here. Princeton's 15 my, C. They, they've got an uphill I battle, I think. <laughs> they've got an uphill <laughs> battle. Yeah. I'm not crazy about West Virginia's uh, road, but we'll, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, so I, uh, believe it or not, I, I actually wanted to do a career in broadcasting. So uh, one thing you might, might not know is that I was actually the announcer at Morgantown High School. So I did, oh, cool. um, I played, I played one year of, uh, uh, on the JV team at basketball. And then when I didn't make it my junior year, I mean, I was like, that's it. I'm going to be the announcer. Yeah. So I did the announcing for football and basketball at the, at the high school and I absolutely loved it. And then I wanted to be like, you know, Tom Brokaw, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Peter, Peter Jennings, you know, yes. so, so I actually applied to five universities in broadcast journalism and, and, you know, most of them were giving me a scholarship to also play my violin in their orchestra. Cause I, I've been sending in tapes and things like that. And I chose Northwestern because, quite frankly, I wasn't sure I wanted to give up entirely on music yet. I thought, I know that this was something important to my mother. Um, and since, you know, since my brother already had given up on the music element, <clears throat> I thought, well, I guess I'm the last hope, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I, anyway, I, tried. I knew that Northwestern had a really good journalism school and a good speech school. So I figured, okay, let's see if I'm inspired in music. And if I am great, and if I'm not, I'll try to transfer and we'll just, you know, do it that way. So I got to campus and, uh, uh, and the former happened. I got totally inspired because there was this Russian conductor there that kind of took me under his wing and he, he believed in me and he saw something in me and he, he worked me hard. And, uh, and he was, he's kind of a legend in, in the music world, in the violin world, in the conducting world. So, uh, I just got so inspired by him. And then I just worked at the radio station in town on the campus. I, yep. I did, I started with news and then I worked as a DJ and that sort of thing. So I had, I had sort of that balance of fun while I was doing it. Um, yeah. And then I just, I tried to get the most out of, out of my experience at Northwestern. I, uh, even though I played the violin, I joined the marching band because my parents had been at Northwestern and my dad had been this uh, band director there. And so um, so there was a little bit of a legacy. I saw my yeah. dad's picture on the wall in the band area and I was yeah. like, okay, maybe I could do this. And then as things happened, you know, I, I had a, ended up having a crush on a girl that was in the band. And so I was like, 
maybe I can meet her through the, the you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I was in the drum line. Yeah, practice at, at scales together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can practice. <laughs> yeah, practice some marching. And, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I had a I had a really good time there. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't know really what I wanted to do, believe it or not, because I I I I didn't. I didn't think I could make it as a soloist and I wasn't sure that I wanted to play at a symphony orchestra, even though I love that music. I, I didn't want to be buried in the middle of a violin section on, on a stage in an orchestra. I love to, I love, you know, I started getting into conducting and that was exciting to me, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do with the violin at that point. So, um, I thought maybe I would go back and do a degree in conducting. We would see what, what might come of that. But uh, in my senior year, right near the end of my senior year, uh, there was a sign on the door uh, when I went back to the uh, <clears throat> the practice room building, and it said, Walt Disney World Orchestra Auditions. And I was like, hold Sick. on a minute. Yeah. I like me some Disney. <laughs> uh, and there's an orchestra. Let's let's make this happen. And so it was like, you know, bring a headshot and a resume and, you know, a couple of pieces to play. Well, I just happen to have up my sleeve this piece, this Yankee Doodle Variations thing. It's like, you know, it's because, you know, you, most people are going to go in and play some classical concerto. Well, I'm right. thinking that that's not what they want to hear. They want to hear, you know, what I can do uh, on the violin and, and and if I can have fun with it. And so so I ran back to my dorm and I got a headshot, which I just happened to have because of my my roommate was a photographer and had just done all these headshots. I mean, it couldn't, it, this could not have played out better for me. And I, and I just went in and, uh, and they were really happy. And then like a month later I get a call and they hired me as their new concert master down at Disney world. So that was my first job out of college. And I went down there and, and honestly, I had an absolute blast that summer. Um, and about a month into a couple of weeks, maybe into that job, I get a call from one of my buddies that I had been in college with. He was a tuba player. He called me from DC and he said, "Hey, Pete, we've got uh, you got to get up here. We've got an opening in the Marine Band for violin." Well, I hung up the phone on him because he's a jokester, you know, typical tuba player, make playing jokes on me. Typical violin, tuba player, <laughs> violins in the Marine Band? Are you kidding me? No way! And then he called me back, and this is before the internet. It's not like I could look this up and check it out. <laughs> he's, he calls me back. He goes, "No, man, I'm serious. It's the White House Orchestra. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a unit within the Marine Band." And, uh, I think this would be right up your alley. And I was like, wow, that actually does sound pretty cool. Um, kind of similar to the job that I was doing at Disney, you know, some more yeah. kind of music and, you know, all kinds of movies and shows and, and a little classical here and there. Yeah. So I, I just, I then kind of stunted my fun, if you will, that summer down in Florida. Cause then I just hunkered down and practiced my butt off for that audition. And then I flew up. Uh, I flew up to DC and, uh, and it worked out. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was really exciting. I, they didn't pick me right away. Uh, it was one of these rare auditions where they were trying to decide between two people. And so they sent me back to Disney without me knowing and I got a call the next day and it was exciting, you know, to find out. So, so yeah, so then I, you know, listed in the Marine Corps, uh, uh, you know, back in West Virginia, I had to, went to a recruiting station in Morgantown and they were like, oh, we don't do that. We got, you got to go down to Fairmont. So I went to Fairmont, they shaved my head. I was like, 
Okay. Just, this I'm is just this trying is... to play the violin here, man. <laughs> you know, hey, man, easy. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I had bright red hair at the time. So they kinda <laughs> they kinda cut they had this, it's a little horseshoe on my head, which apparently was the West Virginia cut. There just you know, there was a thing there. And um I mean this this I gotta tell you, this barber shop was like right out of a movie. It was like, you know, a black and white movie with the two chairs and uh, there's a guy in the corner watching boxing and and the names Earl, <laughs> Earl and Frank were above the two chairs, you know. I'm telling you, it was it was it was you know central casting. So um, so then I you know reported directly for duty uh, after I swore in down in Charleston. I, I you know hopped in my car and drove to D.C. and then you, know, you go through a special orientation there where you know you're you're working you know you, you've got a got a security clearance. You're working with Secret Service. Uh, it's a unique job within the Marine Corps. Um, and especially as a violinist, because a lot of the people that are in the Marine band, uh, even though it falls under the category of the president's own, many of them, most of them actually don't play at the white house very regularly. But those of us that are string players do, you know, the pianists and the, the harpist and the, and the, the string players and a couple of combo players, cause they do jazz combos inside and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't have any idea what I was getting into and, I have to say that it was it was a thrill every time. It never got boring. Uh, you know, you're you're a part of history. You're you're providing the soundtrack to history in, in in many cases. And the other thing that I really loved about the job was it was it allowed me to play all different kinds of music. I wasn't just playing classical and jazz and and movie music and show tunes and things like that. But I was able to solo with the orchestra that we had. I was able to play chamber music, and then I turned out to be the the guy who was known as the, kind of the utility violinist, where if there was a specific style that they needed, um, they go, oh, we'll call P. He'll learn that style. Like and so I was, <laughs> yeah, so we started a uh, we actually started a country band uh, back in the early <laughs> '90s because there was a commandant of the Marine Corps that really loved country music. So I, they were like, "Hey, you're from West Virginia. You play fiddle, right?" And I was, "Fiddle, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay." <laughs> Sure. So I'm listening to all these, you know, this was back when Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood were yep. just coming out, you know, and, and, uh, and so I was like, I was listening to these recordings and I was transcribing all the fiddle solos. And, I, and then over time I, I developed my own style. And so I did that, but you know, if it was like St. Patrick's day at the white house, I learned how to play Irish fiddle. And, uh, uh, I played uh, mariachi band fiddle on Cinco de Mayo and, and, you know, then they would have, uh, uh, you know, the Hanukkah receptions, I had to learn how to play klezmer violin and it was crazy. And then at near the end of my career, actually, um, they had, uh, this Islamic iftar dinner at the white house, uh, which apparently had been an annual event, but in this particular case with a new president in and the new social secretary, they wanted to have Middle Eastern music at the white house. Well, that's, that's really ancient music. And, and in some cases, they're instruments that most people can't get a hold of. But I just went ahead and, you know, my colonel called me up and he said that Pete, the social secretary is being adamant that we have to provide this music. And if we don't do it, they're going to go to the Air Force. And I was like, well, we don't want that, sir. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got you your back. That you know, so, so I, you know, this was on like 48 hours notice and I just, I got on YouTube and I was calling universities and because they sometimes have these Middle East music ensembles in certain places. And, and I just, I just dove deep and I wow. found, I found, you know, the violin tends to be a kind of a universal instrument around the world. It's in many, many cultures. And, uh, and so yeah, they had 54 countries represented. 
And there was there was one person from every country, and they were saying, you know, we really want all these countries represented in the music. And I had a theory, which was that this music is borderless. This music is so old, it predates any of these countries having territory, right? Wow, so yeah. my, my theory was that I'll just try to find different songs that sound different from each other, but are all from this general region. And I should be okay. And sure enough, you know, I put this group together with like a clarinet and a percussionist and a bass and, and, and we went and we did this and it was uncanny. The number of people that would come up and they go, Oh, this is the music from my country. And then another person would come up with the same song and say, yeah, this is music from my country. And I was like, yeah, yeah. It sure is. Yeah. That's wow. like a beautiful and, and, like philosophy of life. It's like, we're, you know, more maybe similar than we think we're different. Like people can all relate to this, you know, similar things like that. That's exactly right. And, and not to be corny about it, but I, I think of that in general with music, you know, music, we, we call music the universal language. And so that spoke to me, to your point that, that, uh, even beyond the middle East, um, if you're playing good music, uh, you know, you're going to bring people together through that. And that's, and that's, that's what my career has been. And it's been, you know, an honor and, and a privilege to be able to, to provide music there and yeah, for all well, those, all those guests. Peter, question about the president. Cause I'm sure like, does the air just feel different when you're under president and maybe does it ever lose that feeling when you're around these situations? Cause you've been, I'm reading here, like you've been at Camp David, you've been I, at the Vatican, I, you've been I, at Carnegie Hall, like I'm sure, I mean, do you feel like, wow, this is surreal every time you get the chance to kind of be in that environment? You know, it, it, it is the, the president, uh, the president does have an aura around him, uh, whoever it is, uh, some are a little more charismatic than others perhaps, but there's something special about that. I mean, you can be in the white house, which is a very special place and has a lot of history there. And I think of the, the, the work that we did there, we do there is, is uh, kind of a living history. You know, you have all these portraits on the walls, but we're providing this living history, this, this active um, continuity of, of music in America, for example. And of course we're playing music from all over the world, as I said, but, uh, but we also have this responsibility, I think, to preserve American musical tradition when we can for whoever the guests are. And, you know, just like you would imagine a celebrity, uh, cause we, you know, of course I played for a lot of different celebrities as well, but what's funny when they're out of context from their life as a celebrity, whether it's a rock star or a movie star and they come to the white house, they're out of their element a little yeah. bit. You see there, there's a disarming that happens yeah. to them, which is funny. They sort of become a tourist and kind of a regular human being. And it's, it's, uh, it's sort of refreshing to see that. And then, you know, I, I would always sort of own that moment and, and try to be, um, you know, be an anchor for them. So, you know, I'd give them a good eye contact. Like we were never allowed to engage with a guest until they engaged with us. Anyway. Uh, cause we're sort of supposed to be background okay. depending on the situation. And so, uh, I used to play down in the diplomatic reception room for, uh, for various events like the Kennedy center honors. And so a lot of celebrities would be coming through there. You know, I was playing for Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder and Meryl Streep and Tom uh, yeah, Hanks. Other musicians. It, you don't I mean, it's just, yeah, right. I mean, so it would be easy if I got in my head like, oh my God, that Sting, don't do it. You know, <laughs> you know freaking out. I mean, one of my idols, Billy Joel, and, and, and he comes oh over. He just, you know, he just starts talking to the duo. And I'm just like kind of on one part of my brain losing my mind and the other part of my brain, I'm just like, just talk to him. 
you yeah. know? And so, so you're doing that. And I mean, it was really funny one night where we played for Meryl Street because she pulls her phone out and she's like, you know, she's recording. recording you guys. Wow. What are the room all at the, yeah, yeah, yeah right. I mean, you're cool. like, I want to meet you and you're yeah. 12. And she's yeah, like, I want to yeah. put, put you with my duo, you know? Wow. Like, that's cool. So, I mean, th yeah, they're out of their element, but to, but back to your question, I mean, um, the, the White House didn't, you know, wasn't intimidating anymore after I would say probably a year of performing there, but it never got old when a president walked in the room. And that mm -hmm. wasn't all the time, right? Because sometimes we were playing for certain events where we knew the president was in the vicinity, but the president might not actually walk through the room that we're playing in. Yeah. Uh, or the event was for the first lady. So the president might not even be there. And, and you just never know we're on the South lawn, but if the president walked up to the ensemble or whatever, I mean, yeah, there was just, there's an, an energy and aura and you, you can't, it's just undeniable that that happens no matter who it is. So, um, any relationship with any of those presidents in particular that maybe you had a better relationship with one than others or sure. any good stories, oh, yeah. funny, I'm, funny moments, fact, anything I'm, of I'm the in sort? the middle of, I'm a little halfway through my memoir about my 30 years at the White House. So I'm, 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 I'm putting a lot of these stories together. Oh, wow. Really cool. Yeah. I decided to, to center on like, I have 30 chapters. It's not a year for each chapter. It's just, I thought that was a good round number with the number of years I did. So I'm, and they're kind of not in chronological order, yeah. you know, but, um, like there was one time at the end of, uh, I started with Bush senior. So I came in in 1990 and went to 2020 and, uh, there was, uh, one event we played at the end of his presidency in 1993, right before Bill Clinton took office and, uh, president Reagan was, came to the white house to get the medal of freedom. And of course, I mean, he was the president for pretty much my entire childhood. So, you know, politics aside, I just was like, wow, this is Robin, you know, and we, we got there yeah. early because the director of the Marine band was a big, uh, had, had a good relationship with him and Mrs. Reagan. And so he was, I think, particularly excited that we were performing for him. And keep in mind that I was still fairly new in the ensemble. So everybody else had played for Reagan. They already knew who he was. They'd already seen him many times. I was just the new guy, you know? So there was at some point we were just sitting there waiting for the, the gates to open and the uh, and all of a sudden the energy in the room changed and I remember we're the grand foyer there at the White House all the marble and the pillars and the whole thing and I'm just kind of looking around like what what's going on did a door open I don't you know what, what's happening and the next thing I know there's a hand on my shoulder and I just look up and it's President Reagan and I just was like oh. you know, <laughs> it, it's hard to make me speechless oh you know but I just couldn't I I I that was it. I was yeah. done. Thank goodness he didn't ask me a question because I think I would have just like, you know, can't speak, you know. <laughs> and and he Fainted. and you know we yeah. all yep. kind of instinctively stood up and and he gets up on the podium and 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 he he had us sit down and he said, uh, he said, you know, uh, I you know I miss all of you. Uh, this was my favorite thing. And a lot of presidents say this, that the thing they miss the most in the White House is the music from the Marine Band, which is always very a kind thing for them to say. But he said, you know, I want you to know something. I spoke to the president-elect earlier this week, Clinton, and, and I reminded him how important it was to salute the Marines when he gets off the, the helicopter. Always salute the Marines. So then he put his feet together, President Reagan, and he saluted us. I get chills telling this story. 
And, and then we just no, instinctively just chilled, stood yeah, up. Yeah, that's wild. Like, we weren't told to stand up by our director. We just, we were up and that was it. And then he said, just, you know, have a great day. It's great to see all of you turned around. And I just, I was like, so there was, you know, that was crazy. Um, but Whoa. as far as relationships yeah. go, you know, I became the section commander for the string section in, uh, let's see, 2000, um, 2007. So for, for the, the last 13 years of my career, I was basically in charge of, of assigning all of the jobs at the White House. So uh, and I was obviously expected to lead most of those jobs if I was in town. So uh, by that point, this was the end of um, the Bush 43 presidency, W, and uh, and then all of uh, Obama's presidency and 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 uh, most of uh, most of President Trump's President presidency. Trump. So so I would say that I I developed a pretty good relationship with with Bush forty three there at the end. He called me big guy. Hey, big guy, you know, it's like a thing, you know. <laughs> is that uh, in the book? Is big guy? The that'll be yeah. That, that'll be yeah, that, that'll that'll be in the book. <laughs> you know, we and actually we played for um, you know when his father was president. Uh, that country band that I mentioned played on the South Lawn. Uh, I think uh, twice before. We were invited to play for play at Camp David for his daughter's wedding. So Bush 43's sister, Doro, was getting married. And um, and we were just an add-on. Like they wanted us to play at the reception by the pool after the dinner. And so we went over there and did that. And I have to tell you, when it was all over, then all the guests had left and now we're packing up our gear. President and Mrs. Bush came down to to greet all of us and shook all of her hands and got all of her names and where are you from and all of this kind of stuff. They couldn't have been nicer. And from that moment on, so this was another eight months that he was in office before he left. Every time he I was at the White House, he would come over and come up to me and go, Hey Pete, how you doing? Wow. Like remembered my name every yeah. time. Like yep. oh. you know. <laughs> yeah, are you, yeah, are you talking yeah, to me? So that was that was really cool and um yeah but uh and then the uh for the obama administration i became particularly close to to the obamas because i was uh since you know our directors actually they go to the white house only when the orchestra is playing because they have to conduct but then the rest of the time when we do smaller ensembles like string quartets or solo violin for me or anything else we're on our own you know and so very often presidents are coming over and talking to me about Hey, we have an event coming up in two weeks, and I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think about that? And so you're you're actually kind of helping out, and well, you know, we could provide this, sir, and you know, just go through the channel and have you know, your, and then I'll follow up with the social secretary or the White House military office. Hey, the president asked for this. Just make sure that you know, call over to our operations and make sure that officially gets tasked. That sort of thing. So there was just a lot of that kind of interplay that you know presidents say something to somebody and they probably expect it to happen so i would yeah. make sure that that would happen and um but a lot of this would come out of just casual conversation you know and and uh and you know you sort of like a pinch me moment right you get on the bus and man i just had a 15 minute conversation with the president about yeah. nothing having to do with politics you know? yeah <laughs> it's yeah. just like you know it is what it is so uh so that was really great and i think that um probably my favorite story my you know people say what was your most memorable moment and i think it would have to be when i was about 26 years in this was at the end of the obama presidency 
I get a call. I was, <clears throat> I was actually playing a wedding in a string quartet for the commandant of the Marine Corps son who was getting married. And, um, I was, uh, uh, it was in the house because it had been raining and, and all of a sudden I see my phone kind of lighting up and I'm thinking, oh, that's weird. Uh, it was my operations officer and it's a weekend. So I'm thinking, I already know all the jobs for the weekend because I'm the section commander. So there are only a couple of reasons why he would be contacting me. You know, either somebody's in trouble or somebody's yeah. not where they're supposed yep. to be yep. or whatever, or there's a new job. And so I thought, you know, let's hope it's that. And sure enough, on the break, I, I, I call him back and he said, uh, Pete, okay, what I'm about to tell you, uh, only five people on the planet know and you can't tell anybody. And I was like, <laughs> who talks this way? Yeah. It's like, we're not, we're not in covert activities here. Yeah. yeah. Now it's like, come on, man. The James eagle Bond. has landed. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. All right. Sh you know, code, 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 <laughs> you know, are we on a secure line? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, uh, he says, seriously, yeah. we have, um, the, the president wants to throw a surprise anniversary dinner for the first lady. Oh, very and, cool. And he, he didn't tell his staff. And he didn't tell her staff. I mean, imagine how hard it would be to be those people that you just have these handlers all the time. You can't keep a secret, right? So he directly right. called the White House military office, who then called my boss, who then called me. And he said, all, he, all the president asked for was a solo violin. He wants a romantic evening with his wife. What? Solo oh. violin. And I was like, uh, yeah, I think maybe I can make that. So... <clears throat> Uh, so I, I said, well, do, did he have any requests? Is there anything that I need to know? And he goes, no, he didn't say anything about music and we can't call him back. You just have to show up tomorrow at six o'clock. So, you know, 24 hours notice I go home and I don't even practice at that point. Cause I'd had a lot of experience playing solo violin in, in restaurants and things like that. So I had a whole, you know, arsenal of, of tunes in my head, but I decided that, that my focus at this point was making this a special evening for them on a, on a, you know, trip down memory lane, if you will. So I decided to go on the internet and look up anything I could find about when they first dated, what their wedding song might be. And you'd be amazed at what you can find out about, about celebrities, like, you know, somebody like a president. So <laughs> I found out their first date was, you know, in the early nineties, they went, they went and saw the movie, do the right thing. And I'm like, oh crap, that's, that's a bunch of rap music. I'm not going to be able to really <laughs> pull that out. Um, but I went and found out, you know, music that was on the radio at the time, you know, to, you know, Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, whatever. And keep in mind, I'd already played for them for eight years. So I kind of knew the style of music that they liked. So there was that too, but I did find their wedding song. It was Stevie Wonder's You and I. So uh, that's a beautiful song and I didn't know it. I mean, I knew it by hearing, but I'd never played it before. So I wrote an arrangement of that that night and just memorized it, had that ready to go. I learned the Hawaiian wedding song because I knew that the president was from Hawaii. So just little nuggets like that that I had to go on. And then I then I just I got up the next morning and I, I ran through all of this stuff, got in the car, drove to the barracks and uh, got in my uniform and there was a driver waiting for me. And I get over there and keep in mind that I, I played solo violin in the White House several times, but ne I'd never gone over by myself because there's usually some other group that's also playing there at some place. So this was sort of surreal. You know, I'd been in 26 years. I'd play a lot of jobs. I'd played a lot of cool jobs, but this was just bizarre. And I show up at the White House and I go to the first checkpoint 
And it was like the Secret Service, the C team was there because I didn't recognize these guys. They didn't recognize me. I'm like, okay. And that, they were like, and can we help you? And I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably on the security list. They checked my ID and sure enough, I was. And they were like, okay, you know. And and I said, is, uh, is EOD here, you know, which is the Explosive Ordnance Division. These are the guys that check your instrument for bombs and stuff. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, EOD is off tonight. We're handling that. So what do you got there? And I'm like, okay, so now I'm teaching these guys how to check out my <laughs> instrument, my case and everything. And then they they clear me and I go through and then, and I just wave at the next gate and that guy buzzes me through, you know, <laughs> it's just funny. You know, sometimes when you just look like you know what you're doing, like, yeah. you know, nobody bothers you. Yeah, right. I mean, I was, I was in the uniform and everything too. Obviously I was on a list, so it's not like I was just, you know, anybody walking in, but still. I get up to the main gate and, uh, and this guy starts to give me a badge and I was like, oh, you know, we don't, they don't usually give us badges cause like our uniform is enough and we just go in and he's completely confused by it. So he goes, I need to make a phone call. He calls the phone call. And, and the guy on the other end happened to be a circuit secret service agent that I knew. And so he goes, yeah, he wants to talk to you. He puts me on the phone. He goes, Hey Pete, could you just take the badge? Cause these guys don't know what you, you know, what's going on. You'll make them feel better if you take the badge. I was like, sure. Okay. I'll take the badge. <laughs> I go in, but here's the thing. I get inside the White House and all the carpets are rolled up and there was no staff around. It was a ghost town. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then it finally hit me. There's no event. Yeah. There's no, there's no guest list. No. There's nobody coming. There's no caterer. There's no, you know, the, there's nothing happening tonight. This is a private dinner that the president threw, right? So he basically called, you know, my boss, he called the chef. And he called a butler. That was it. So I go down into the Secret Service lounge, where is our holding area? And they had the counter assault team there, and they were going, "Hey guys, I, you know, what are you doing here?" I was like, "I can't tell you." And they were like, "Oh, ha ha ha, yeah, right, okay." So I go upstairs, usher's office. I meet up with Reggie, who was the uh, President Obama's, uh, you know, body man, and uh, and. The woman in the office says, okay, you're going to, you're going to follow Reggie down to the pool. And I was like, I'm sorry, the pool, this is the pool outside. Cause I thought I was going to be playing up in the residence. They was like, yeah, it's a beautiful night. The president changed his plans. He's going to, he's going to have the dinner pool side. I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I get down there and, um, and there were rose petals and candles surrounding the entire pool. There was a one table with two chairs and it was just, it was beautiful right in front of this pool house there. And there's like a little deck right next to the pool house. Reggie was like, you're going to stand up here. This is going to be like your little perch and you're going to play, which was really perfect because I could actually back up a little bit and, and not be seen kind of high by, by the yeah. president per se. So they could hear me, but I didn't have to be like on top of them and, yeah. you know, cause it's like yeah. an intimate dinner. I don't want to be, you know, in the way. Sure. So, you know, just kind of looking around the corner to see if, you know, they're enjoying themselves or whatever. And, and so Reggie was like, I'd love for you to come over at each, uh, each course as, as each course is coming out, you know, if you could walk over and play a tune and then come back. And I was like, oh yeah, no problem. And I said, uh, he said, do you have anything special for the dessert? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I learned their wedding song. And he goes, my man, (laughs) I was in with Reggie and then, uh, and then he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to hide in the tree line over here. And I was like, Reggie, I don't want to get shot. You know, you're going to get me shot. Yeah. Say that. He's, like, me shot. he's like, he's like, no, 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 it's okay. You know, the camera, they, they was going on. They can hide the tree line. I want you heard before you're seen. I was like, okay, because there's a there's a back door to the Oval Office with a little pathway down to the pool. Okay, 
So he was getting, president was scheduled to come through that pathway. So, so I get in my place and sure enough, the door starts to open and, and I start playing. I decided to play Nat King Cole's Unforgettable. So I'm playing Unforgettable and then I kind of step out and Mrs. Obama's walking down and she's in a ball cap and, and a jogging outfit. She had no idea. There's no question that she just didn't know what was going on. And she does one of these, you know, she puts her hands over her mouth and she looks at me and then she looks at the, at the table and she's, and then I look at the president, he's walking right behind her. He's in a Hawaiian shirt, jeans and sandals. And he just had this look on his face. Like he pulled off the biggest stunt ever. Yeah. Completely blew her mind. He looks over at me, gives me a thumbs up and I'm, and I nod, you know, and then they walk over to the table and they sit down and then I come over to my perch and I finish the song. And then I had this plan of like going through the evening with, uh, by the way, I was told by my operations officer, oh, you'll probably play for a half hour or less. I mean, he said, my thinking is you'll play, you'll set the mood, and then they'll probably release you because they'll want to have a private dinner. And I was like, okay. But I thought, you know what? I need to prepare for the entire dinner. And sure enough, I played for an hour and a half. I mean, that was, <laughs> well, you know. So, uh, and I didn't- around any... long enough. Yeah, yeah. you knew. <laughs> I, I knew, I, I knew kind of what was going on. So, so I thought, and as soon as Reggie started talking to me about his courses in the meal, I was like, yeah. like okay, that's who's yeah. going. Yeah. So I thought, okay, for the first course, I'll play like salon, classical salon music. And the second course, I'll play like big band favorites like Frank Sinatra, you know, Cole Porter, Gershwin, stuff like that. And then for the dessert portion, I would play more popular music, Lionel Richie, uh, you know, Billy Joel, which they love, Sting, all that stuff. So the, I kind of had that mapped out in my head. And I get get through the evening and I get to the dessert and now, you know, I get the signal from Reggie and I go over and I start playing you and I. Uh, well, all of a sudden, the president starts singing to the first lady along with me, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, now I got to I got to really concentrate. You really got to hit it here. <laughs> I, speaking of the nervousness, I didn't have time to be nervous because I was just so hyper focused on what the next song I was going to play and That's what the amazing. next line was. I mean, later I just about, I completely collapsed, right? I mean, I just was, this was like way too much for your body to handle. So I get through the first verse and he, uh, and then I play this little interlude between, and I find myself nodding to bring him back in. What am I doing? <laughs> You're part of the date here, man. He's like, You're sing, part of the evening. He's like singing along. And then, he, and then, and then, you know, he finishes, he got a big climax in the song and he's all in and. And, and she's eating it up and I, and then I, you know, I kind of t taper off and I finish this nice long note and I, you know, and this is the first time they clapped in the evenings, they clap and she turns around and she says, I just can't get over how many songs, you know? And I said, well, ma'am, I may be running out there. Kind of a joke, <laughs> you know? And then, and then, and then the president laughs and he goes, it's okay, Pete, you can repeat anything you want. And I was in my head, I was like, oh, it's on now, but I'm not repeating anything. It's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Challenge. So I go up and I continue my little song, you know, songs and whatever. And at a certain point, I decide to play Billy Joel's "Just the Way You Are," like really romantic song and one of my favorite Billy Joel songs growing up. And uh, and at a certain point, Reggie starts walking over to me, and I'm thinking, oh, he wants me to wrap up. We're at the end of the evening, and I start to kind of cadence to finish. And he goes, no, no, no. And he's like this. They're dancing. And I was like, what? And I kind of lean over, and sure enough, they're. Oh my gosh. They're dancing to the song. So now I'm milking it. I'm putting the saxophone solo in and I'm, you know, I'm doing the whole thing. A little vibrato I, in there. Oh, and yeah, a little yeah. extra vibrato, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, and I finish and they kind of walk over and she's kind of sheepish, you know. She's all kind of acting shy and everything. 
and he kind of walks over to me and he, he, he shakes my hand and he pulls me in and he says, you scored some big points for me tonight, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, sir, it was my honor. Happy oh, anniversary man. to you both. And, and oh, have my, a great wow. Goodness. And they, and they, and they walked back in the Oval Office and I stood there. I'm telling you, man, I, it felt like I stood there for 30 minutes just processing what happened. I'm sure it yeah. was just, you know, too, but it was crazy. And I, later that week I got home, uh, I came home from work and, and there was a, there was a little package leaning up against my garage, like a, <clears throat> like a FedEx thing. And, and, you know, Reggie asked me at one point before the dinner ever began to go and stand by the table. And he took some photos of me and I was like, Hey, could you get those photos to me? And by the way, there were, there was no press. There were no photographers, nothing. This was as private as it could be off the books, completely off the books. But Reggie, just for, for posterity, just wanted to take some shots of me. And I was like, great. And then I took some pictures after they left of the surroundings so that I had that. Um, but so this package comes and I'm thinking, oh, Reggie, he sent me some photos. This is great. I'm going to have some stuff I can send my mom of just me standing by the table. I pull this thing out and it's a handwritten thank you note from the president. Wow. I mean, wow. he could have had a, he could have had a staffer type up a thank you and sign it and that would, you know, would have been fine. But he hand wrote that and uh and it's you know it's one of my you know prized possessions so it was, wow. it, was it was a real real honor so yeah that's the first chapter in my book by the way so <laughs> what's chapter two how do you yeah, follow so, that so, up so, yeah, no, right. this could be a movie well, pete that's God. simply incredible man Cooper, I mean, we've had uh we've had a lot of great stories that might be the best story ever told oh well on the mountain, mountain down. Media podcast i mean that's uh hands down that's, I was getting chills. I was laughing. Yeah. I was going to cry. At some point. Yeah, yeah, this was a, this was a whole movement that you put us through. Yeah, right there, man. Well, it's to bring this back around to West Virginia because we got we got to tie this in, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So we would do the we would do the country band on the south at the South Lawn on the White House, uh, White House South Lawn for you know patriotic holidays. Usually, a lot of different things during the summer. The Clintons used to have just like you know Arkansas watermelon festivals yeah, and yep. stuff like yep. that, and, yep. and and those traveling. Uh, um, you know, amusement parks and stuff, fairs and stuff like that. So we, we, we did a lot of those kinds of jobs. And, um, when, uh, Senator Manchin would come over, like he, so when he took office as a Senator, uh, you know, we play in a lot of other places in DC, as you would imagine, not, not only the Pentagon, but also at the state department, we play a lot of jobs at the state department, as a matter of fact. And so I was playing in a string trio for freshman senators who were being, uh, uh, hosted by the Secretary of State, and one of them was Senator Manchin. And at one point, they came over to sit, you know, to, to greet the the string uh, trio. And of course, I had to tell him, you had to, uh, you yeah. know, you know, Mr. Senator, I'm I'm uh, I'm from Morgantown, and you know, and he was like, oh, you play some country roads, and I was like, <laughs> and then I just started playing country roads for him right there, you know, and he was like. I'm talking about My right man. there. Yeah. Man, right? And so then when he, and he didn't even know at that time that I was the leader of the, of the country band, which by the way, when Obama took office, he came up to me, we'd been around for 25 years or whatever, uh, or 20 years at that point, And, and had only played country music and, and, you know, presidents had found us entertaining and guests and everything like that. Obama comes up and he goes, Hey, I really love this band. I love the energy of the band. Could you guys maybe add some pop rock R and B? And I was like, "Yes, sir." That's all yeah. you had to say, because yeah. you know that's above my pay grade to change our genre, right? <laughs> so, right. 
the president asks for it. So immediately I went back to my loft and, you know, the colonel and I was like, hey, president asked for this green light. And he was like, all right, Pete, do, you know, do what you do. And so we got together and I mapped out how we were going to build the book, you know, it's like have a song from each decade. And then, and then two weeks later, we just did the same thing. And so we're playing like James Brown to Maroon 5 and Bruno Mars. And, I mean, you name it, everything in between. And uh, disco, had some disco in there. I added some horns to the to the setup, and so we're playing all this stuff. Well, anyway, there was always a, a congressional picnic we would play every year. <clears throat> and and sure enough, Senator Manchin would come up to the stage and recognize me, and he was like, you'd be like, you know what's playing? Yeah. <laughs> and then sure enough, man, I, I had us ready to play Country Roads anytime I saw That's him. Great. And we would always play. So there was always West Virginia on the south lawn of the White House, just so you know. But when I was in charge, we were always playing some country roads at some point that's and amazing is, that's just one of those universally loved everybody songs. knows it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you're from no. they love country roads and i'm no. belting out the west virginia line when it happens and so God, that's, yeah, that was just incredible that was always a thrill to be able to do that for my my home home state so peter before because we're i know we're we're getting towards the the end here but you you have on top of just being in the white house and presidents i mean you've had the opportunity to meet several other people i found this video on youtube that you are a soloist with john williams conducting he was just at the oscars 53 academy award nominations for him just i mean that guy is you know it's funny how some some conductors and composers are more well known than others he might be the most well known other than the current day kind of guys right Oh, without question. I mean, it's it's been said, you know, uh, John Philip Sousa, who you would have heard of, probably the composer of Stars and Stripes Forever and all these, you know, famous marches. He was the director of the Marine Band back in the day, uh, back in the late 1800s. And he uh, he was arguably the most famous musician at the time when he lived. He would go over to Europe and just people would stop what they were doing and people would get out of school and go and hear his concerts and things like that. John Williams is really our, our modern equivalent of that. I mean, there's no question that John Williams is the most, most successful musician in history just by, you know, from monetary and awards and, and just, just the recognition of his tunes. I mean, we, as we say, you, you can't go through a day probably without hearing something John Williams has written, whether it's the NBC news theme or, you know, one of the NFL themes that he wrote, or uh, obviously video games that have all of the music from his films, Harry Potter, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, E.T., Superman, you name it. It goes on and on and on, right? So when, so as a musician, you can imagine this is, this is, he's a legend in any genre. Yeah. But for a musician, I mean, this is, this is the guy you want to be meeting and working with. And he is, he could not be more of a gentleman. He is the nicest person in the world. 91 years old um i when i got God, the he call, looked great at the oscars oh my gosh i mean he's <laughs> just and, and and you need to know something that his career is even more busy now than it ever was because wow. orchestras around the world classical orchestras around the world are finally recognizing that he's not just the greatest film composer who ever lived he's a great composer period of any genre so they have recognized this. So now he's been invited to conduct the Berlin Philharmonic, the Vienna Philharmonic. All the major symphonies in the world are dying to get him on their list. He's booked through 2024. Oh, and yeah. even at his age. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not kidding. I mean, I just wow. I saw I saw his the list. You can find it online where he's where he's appearing. And of course he appears sometimes with Yo Yo Ma, 
who is, you know, I, I think of as sort of the, the, the universal ambassador of music. He's just such a, a wonderful man himself. But I have to say, when he was invited to conduct the Marine Band, we didn't know if he would accept the invitation, and he did. And so he came and he's conducting the Marine Band this summer again for the third time. Cool. I was I was in both of the first two concerts. And, uh, and it's all band music, right? So all of his orchestral music was transcribed for band. And, and that's a task in and of itself. And he's got a whole team of guys that do that. Okay, so when he came and conducted us, it was the first time he ever conducted a concert band, which is saying something, because he'd conducted big bands and he'd conducted orchestras his whole career, but never a concert band. So he was thrilled himself yeah. coming to work with us. But the one thing he didn't want transcribed for a band instrument was Schindler's List. He still wanted the solo to be played by a violin. Which and is what when, you played. That's oh, when I got the beautiful. call. So yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm, I'm also, by the way, a huge film music buff, which is not what, you know, not all musicians are into film music, and I really am. So, so I mean, he was my idol. I mean, you, I, you can't even put into words how important that was to me. Wow. And so I'm now the first rehearsal, talk about nerves, you know, to circle back to the very first thing we were talking about. I, I have never been more nervous in my lifetime as a player than that first rehearsal. Forget about the concert. I was nervous for that, of course, but never more nervous than playing for John Williams for the first time in rehearsal. And he starts conducting and I'm playing and it was, you know, normally the conductor is there to follow the soloist, but I was like trying to follow him. This is his music and he's yeah. the conductor. So I'm like, oh my God, you know, let me play this right. We finish the, we finish and my colleagues kind of clapped or whatever. And he turned and he grins at me and and he, he kind of pulls me and he puts his arm around me and, and I said, it was, you know, was that okay? Were the tempos okay? Did you want it slower, faster, anything like that? I just, you know, I want to do right by him, you know? And he just says to me, just play it how you feel it in your heart. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even worthy, right? <laughs> it's just like, but this is, this is who he is. He's just one of the most generous musicians I'd ever met. And everybody has this experience with him. I mean, he, you know, he could be a jerk. I mean, he could, he's so, he's so powerful in, in the music world, but, but he's not, he gets it. He understands the, the love of this music that we all have and the love we have for him and wow. the respect we have. So it, it just that, of course he did that in a way of disarming the, the process, like, like letting me not have to worry about that element, which is really smart of him because he knew that his music would be played better if I had the freedom to do what I wanted. And of course yeah. I wasn't going to go way outside the box, but that was that and then we, I performed at the Kennedy Center with, you know, with him. And that's the video I think you saw. I think it's like a bootleg. Somebody, yeah, it somebody, is a total bootleg. Somebody, yeah, somebody grabbed from the balcony. Wasn't supposed to be doing that, but <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they did because it's yeah, like the yeah, one record cool. I have of that that it happened. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's he's pretty pretty great. And I and I I had arranged a few of his pieces uh, for the White House Orchestra. So when he would come to the White House to get an award like the Arts and Humanities Award or the Kennedy Center Honor Award, he would come over to the orchestra and then we would play sometimes an arrangement that I'd written, which was really great. And he introduced me to Steven Spielberg. I mean, talk about surreal, right? Wow. John Williams is introducing Introduce me, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, yeah. to tell him that I played Schindler's List, which is his movie. And I'm like, you wow. know, where, yeah. is the, where does the reality yeah. end? And yeah, so it, it was, yeah. What a, God. I mean, these are, you, I mean, these are just the best stories that we've ever heard. I think I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, unbelievable. Seriously, unbelievable. I, I'm sure that 
you've gotten this question before, but how do you even process some of the things? I mean, it's it's by writing a book, right? That's the yeah. best way to, to try and process, and process it's a, the, the It's a stories. really great a really great point. I mean, I, of course, I had people bugging me to write a book when I when I when I finished, and I and I've been talking to some uh, you know people that are in the business, ghost writers, things like that. People that write political books, for example, and and trying to get a sense of the of the climate for that. And and they and what what comes back is interesting because they say, you know, a lot of people that write books about their experience at the White House have maybe one admin, administration that they write about that they work for, or possibly two, but always the same party. And they said, you've got five presidents with all both parties mixed in there for 30 okay. years. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's going to be marketable. Right. And wow. so, and, yeah. and, you know, the job that we had, you have to be very neutral. I mean, there can't be any politics in what it is that we do. And, and, and again, speaking to the universal language of music, I mean, we feel a great responsibility to, um, to provide, um, comfort through music to to set the tone for an event i mean we put a lot of it's not just background music right i mean i put a put a lot of thought every time into what is this event for uh is is this a celebration is it does it need to be a little somber if we're playing for wounded warriors for example versus uh kennedy center honorees am i going to write arrangements for those people and try to make sure that you want people to be to feel welcome in the environment and also, you know, comfortable in that environment as well. So, uh, it, it was a great responsibility and a privilege to get to do all of that. Um, but it, uh, I, I, you know, it, but there was this neutrality, and and I liked that. That 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 when you're when you're in the White House, it's uh, there's a historical significance there, and um, and I loved that that we offered a certain continuity over the years as well, regardless of who the president was or what administration was coming through. It's like all that politics is over in the West Wing, but we're in the in the in the House and the residents and the East Wing, and so that's where, we're, you know, the diplomacy kicks in. Yeah, right? well, and, yeah. I, and this is a this is a thread in my book, by the way. I call musical diplomacy, and this is how music kind of binds together all of these events. And that we had the privilege of providing that kind of music and 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 sort of helping to tailor how that event is subliminal as it may be uh to to whatever that that event might be uh and so you know that was that was an important factor and and one of the things that made it fun to get up in the morning and go to work you know to 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 to, to be able to provide that kind of that kind of uh service to you know and support musical support uh to the white house and the state department and wherever else so so yeah, it's been a labor of love putting this book together, mapping it out, and like you said, getting the stories down so I don't have to have them rattling around in my head all the time. I mean, I you know I'll tell a story here and there at a dinner party. Um, I'll tell you one one quick. This is another way. Do we have time Please. for one story? Absolutely, yeah, okay. absolutely. So this was uh, this was Bush forty three, and he was. Uh, this is uh, kind of timely now because it's about the Queen of England, who obviously recently uh -huh. passed away, and um, and so. This is a step up from a typical state dinner because this is this is royalty that's coming in, and so now it goes from black tie tuxedo to white tie, and tails and gloves and the whole thing. So there's that's a whole way above, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, it's Different like level. okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, this is this is these are through various levels, and so um, I would lead the strolling strings into the dining room for a dessert, like the orchestra would play in the foyer. 
and we would provide some other ensembles around the White House in various places. Maybe there was a harp up in the residence, and we'd have a string trio or a duo downstairs in the in the what's called the East Landing as people are entering the White House. And then there's the dining room, and we would come in at the dessert, and we'd be given the cue, and then we'd all kind of file in to a piece of music. And then I was always sent to the president's table, and I'm standing between the president's table and the first lady's table. By the way, the protocol is that when you go to the White House, you are seated at a table where your guest is not, so that you're forced to mingle, right? forced to talk to other people. And the same was true with the first lady and the president. You see these movies like The, the American President and... They're all sitting together, the president, the first lady, and the, the the president of whatever country, and their first lady, and 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 so on. That would never happen at the White House. That's that's that would be a rare a rare occurrence because they they really try the, the the standard kind of universal protocol is to kind of have everybody spread out, you know, unless there's a specific head table and that would be different, uh, which occasionally happens. But anyway, so the president was sitting next to the queen over here, and then uh, Mrs. Bush was sitting next to Prince Philip over here. Okay. So I come in and we play uh, like an American tune, and then we always would play a piece that was honoring whoever our guest was. So in this case, it was it was uh, Great Britain. So we played a little Andrew Lloyd Webber. We did Phantom of the Opera, and what I noticed when I came into the room was that the Queen was just, and they apparently had a really good relationship, the Queen and President Bush. So it wasn't that, but I think that this is a woman who had done countless white tie dinners can you imagine and right how many presidents did she serve like 13 presidents that she played i mean yeah. that she hosted or whatever uh and so she just looked completely zoned out like just staring straight ahead was not engaging in conversation and there was very little conversation in the room mind you because they're all everybody's kind of mindful of the queen i mean even though we're in the white house in america we're still the queen and so everybody's kind of like what's she doing let's make sure we don't do anything that she would be uh, you know not (laughs) approving of right so it's just kind of a funny dynamic which was different because normally it's very lively in the dining room when we go in it's like a little bit hard for us to hear ourselves play they'll kind of dip down a little bit because they know that we're coming in to play a little special show but but here it was like you could hear a pin drop so (laughs) our music was really flowing which was great I could see that President Bush was trying to engage the Queen to speak to him. He just was having a heck of a time doing it. I, I felt for the man, you know. He kind of looks over at me. He's like, "Hey, big guy," you know. I'm just, you know. And then he's talking to the person next to him. He keeps trying to engage the Queen. And finally, we 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 kick in. We finish the first song, and I see him reach into his pocket and kind of look at like a read ahead. So he probably has the list of tunes we're going to play because we always submit that ahead of time. So he's kind of. Uh, up on what's happening okay he puts that back in his pocket we start playing phantom of the opera and he leans into her and he says this and i'll never forget this he goes he goes you hear that we brought out the good stuff for you tonight (laughs) (laughs) i just thought i just thought (laughs) wow no she didn't even move right (laughs) Well, we just kept playing, you know, yeah. and then and then we finished, and then we we started our exit music and started to go. And he had this look on his face, like, "No, don't go." <laughs> yeah. But I I figured, you know, he was going to be just fine. Uh, but I I went down in my and I I took I had a, took a pen out and I wrote down that quote so I wouldn't forget it. But that's 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 one of the chapters I had to tell that story. So that's, you know, hey, this is crazy. I mean, each chapter, but, oh, incredible, Pete. I mean, this yeah. Is- yeah. It's crazy. Do you, have, do you a... have a title for the book? Do you have... Um... <laughs> I do. It's called First Fiddle. First, First Fiddle. Fiddle. 
Yeah. Okay. Very that's, cool. That's thought neat. That, thought that would be appropriate. And uh, yeah, talking about a life of, of musical diplomacy there uh, at, as, you know, 30 years at the White House and whatnot. But yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also tell some stories about uh, performing for various Marine commandants and and like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, we would have to take that country band. We would we would whittle down to like a an acoustic trio or quartet, and we do a little after dinner entertainment for a lot of these general officers and their guests. And again, sometimes wounded warriors. We play we would play for Thanksgiving dinners at the at the Pentagon, where the Secretary of Defense would bring in wounded warriors and their families to you know to celebrate them. And I got to tell you, you know, I talked about this in my retirement speech, um, you know, for all the presidents that I would have played for or, or any of the celebrities that we, that we entertain, there's something about playing for these wounded warriors and you'd think it would be a somber moment. I mean, it, 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 and it is for, for us who aren't wounded to come in and to see that and you're, you know, you're heartbroken that the, that these guys have, you know, put their lives on the line for us. And it's, you know, it's, it's an emotional thing, of course. But when we start playing and these guys turn their chairs around and, you know, missing legs and arms and, and maybe an eye and, and a piece of their brain was taken out and they've been, you know, reconstructed and everything. And these guys are singing at the top of their lungs, (laughs) like live like you were dying and God bless the USA. I mean, yeah i'm telling you 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 just this is why we do what we do as musicians you know to to connect people to their own humanity and and to be a a, you know a a vessel of hope for people and and just you know and to try to uh and to comfort people and so when we would play for just you know general officers at the end of one of their events if they're hosting their counterpart from another country or whoever it might be, um, we know that we also have like a deeper responsibility to sort of make them forget the, the troubles of the day and the, the yeah. difficulties and the, the troop levels and, and the, the policies and, you know, and the weapons they have to manage and all of that stuff. Um, you know, these generals have an, an incredible responsibility in helping to protect our nation. And so if we can offer some sort of respite you know, through music and a little bit of entertainment at the end of the night. Uh, you know, I, we took that really seriously and, and, and it's a, it's another responsibility that we had. So, so, uh, again, I, I love the variety in the job that way you're playing at the white house, you're playing for official offense, you're doing these kinds of things. And then there were these intimate moments, right. That over, over time. And I, I talk about those in various chapters as well, because I think that's an important element to this. You know, people love to hear the stories about celebrities, but there is this other element too, that I think is important. Um, you know, I'll talk about the John Williams, uh, experience too, at the end of the book, um, as well. Uh, cause I think, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting, uh, ride that I've been on through, through all those decades and, and various, you know, you're part of these historical moments that happen. I mean, 9-11, yeah. you know, I yes. was, I was right, right in the middle of that. And wow. one of, one of the times that, uh, we were supposed to play at the white house that, that afternoon, literally oh on 9-11 for the congressional picnic. I mean, imagine if if one of those planes was sent to the White House, they there's no way that the terrorists knew that the, that all of Congress would meet on the South Lawn of the White House. I mean, can you imagine? Oh my goodness! So, and I, the truth is, I don't remember 
being given a call that the that the event was canceled, you just kind of knew. Everyone just stayed in place, you know, at a certain point. I probably made a phone call, but that just isn't in my memory. But I remember driving into work um, two days later, and I ha always had to pass the Pentagon when I would go up with the 395 uh, interstate into D.C. And, and you could see the Pentagon with this gaping hole, and it was still on fire. Unreal. I mean, days later, they couldn't wow. get the fire. I mean, there's so much... So much air, airline fuel, right? Because yeah. the plane had just taken off. So uh, it was remarkable. And then uh, April of 2002, our country band was asked to come over to the Pentagon to play for the workers who had just finished laying the cement in, in the reconstruction of that area that had been crashed into. And so, uh, I mean, imagine that there's no walls. We were, we were taken up to one of the higher levels uh, it's just cement everywhere. And so it's like, it was pretty windy because, you know, right? it's like, you know, patchwork, basically. this open, open area. Yeah. And secretary of defense had brought in all this catering for all of the, all of the workers. And, uh, and so they had like a little picnic inside uh, to celebrate the, the laying of the final slab or whatever. And they were way ahead of schedule. Like I think president Bush said that he wanted the Pentagon back up and running like within a year. And this was like six months after 9-11 right so it was like very fast that, that it went up but that that too i mean it didn't it wasn't lost on me the significance of what where we were and what we were doing and that the, yeah. we were literally standing like in the middle of the air where the plane would have gone through i just like you know it's kind of kind of freaks you out you know and 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 a lot of these workers were um latino and i remember we were playing all this american music and i looked at the guys and i was like Man, we got to play La Bamba, dude. We had just like let's just do <laughs> this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to be cliched, but that's like the one song that we would know that we could do that they might like. And sure enough, man, we kicked into La Bamba and they lost their minds. They, <laughs> like, they jumped up and they're dancing <laughs> and just crazy. And there's like, well, all right, there it is. You know, yeah, how cool is that? It worked out. Like hey, it's man, universal. Like, yeah. I love that. I mean, the the joy, the the emotion, the magnitude, the magic of all this is. It's clearly not lost on you, man. I love that you've you reflected on it. You tell, I mean, incredible. You're an incredible storyteller. Um, you're an incredible musician. But it just it feels like you knew how special this was, and you you enjoyed the ride, and and you've you've come to appreciate it and respect all the traditions and honors. And it's I don't know, man. It's just it's absolutely beautiful to hear you talk about music and what it means to you, but then also the way you made you know millions of people at this point feel when they hear your your soul play, man. So it's just. I don't know. It is simple, simply incredible. We we you know well, greatly you. appreciate you sharing it. Thank you. It it means a lot. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people ask me, you know, do you miss it? And it's like, I I don't miss it as much as I thought I would, but I do miss that process of like finding out about an event and then mapping out what I was going to do and what arrangements I might write for it, and then and then executing it, and then seeing the look on the faces of the people when you got to you know play their yeah. music or whatever it was. I mean, there are certain certain events and you have to be open right to to the moment and what is going to happen and you can't always know you sort of plan ahead and you know i talked about this in my retirement speech of you know we, we as marines whether you're carrying a rifle you're carrying a musician we have to be adaptable to to environments and wow. you know you, you make a plan whether it's a, a plan for for an attack or a plan for the the evening's events at the white house and but you have to be flexible and ready to change those plans at any moment if something if something uh flips and you can't you can't be like wait no 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 we can't do yeah. that i'm supposed to play this music and i prepared yeah. this and 
you know, sometimes things, sometimes things just, just happen the way they do. And you, you can't, you can't necessarily prepare for it. Your experience up yeah, to that yeah. point has prepared you for it or not. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, there's that, I, you know, I love, you know, speaking of the, the announcing, one of the things that I got to do in the Marine Corps, which, uh, was kind of a surprise to me that the opportunity presented itself after I'd been in the, in the Marine band for five years in night, uh, though this was 1995, I got a call that the, um, the announcer for the Marine Corps was stepping down and for all the parades and stuff. And, and they knew that I'd had some radio experience in college. So they were like, Hey, you should put your hat in the ring yeah. for this and go and make a tape. And I was like, well, can I do that while I'm in the band? They were like, well, you know, you don't play a marching instrument. So it's not like you'll be doing funerals and parades and trying to get out of those to be the announcer. So why don't you just make a tape? So I did and they selected me. And so for 25 years, I got to do all of the parades and ceremonies. And I got to go to France with the silent drill platoon. Wow. And <laughs> that is like amazing. That. So, so this was like, I, I was literally getting to do the two careers that I was hoping, you know, and some, I mean, I wasn't, you know, doing the, the NBC nightly news, but I would, you know, I loved announcing and I loved writing the scripts for that. I became the chief scriptwriter for all of that. So there again, I, and I treated it the way that I would approach music, right? Where the way that I'm crafting the announcement to, to, to say that a Medal of Honor recipient's in the audience and how do you do that in a way that you're not getting people clapping before they need to, right? There's a whole art to the way there's the written word and then there's the spoken word, as you guys know. So there's, yeah. there's this way that had to be, that had to be crafted. And then I'm, I'm, you know, saying these things like a musician, the way the phrasing and the inflection and you're building the tension and whatever. And, um, because I, I had heard, uh, announcers do what, what was done in these parades and they would usually just kind of announce everything the same way. And they had a good voice, but they were just doing it in the same way. And I tried to bring some, you know, musicality, yeah. if you will. Don't from be robotic. Clark. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I would, if the silent drill platoon was coming out, man, I got into this ominous voice and I'm like, you know, get ready because these guys are going to blow your mind, you know, that sort of thing. And then when the drum and bugle corps came out, you know, more lively. It's, like, yeah. it's like a really lively thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, and it was, it was actually a great thing, I think, for, for my career to be able to have that on the side as, as part of my duty to, to remove me from, uh, you know, some of the responsibilities and, 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 you know, and heavy thinking that had to go into some of the, uh, the musical stuff. And so it was nice to have the variety is kind of the point that I was making. For yeah. The yeah. That's it amazing. Was, it was such a privilege. That's yeah. incredible. So, yeah. Well, this summer I got, I got, I don't know if you guys know about this, but, um, I got, uh, asked to do the national anthem for the Washington nationals game versus okay. the Pittsburgh Pirates for West Virginia Day. Oh, oh that's very cool. Yeah, 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 yeah that's very well, I, cool. I think it's, wow. I think I was called by the West Virginia University Alumni Association and asked, you know, you got, you know, you played the anthem for us for so yeah. many years at the, at the Coliseum. Yeah, could you, could do, you do it here? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. That's and amazing. It was like, and that was crazy. I didn't even know that they did that at, at Major League Baseball stadiums. But I guess, yeah, they have like different universities. Have to, I thought, oh, there must be somebody that works for the Nats that is a WVU grad <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but no, no. it's like they just, they have uh, WVU Day. Yep. And so they, they called me. So I'm, I'm so excited to get to do that. That's this is cool. the irony is that I spent 30 years in Washington 
and I was dying to play a Nats game. Never got to do it. Yeah. But I but I played a San Francisco Giants game while I was in the Marine <laughs> Band. Now I live in San Francisco, and it's only then that I get invited back. Yeah. You can't make this up. The, the world works in funny ways. Actually, the, the Pirates you can have a plan, Pete, but you can't. Yeah, you, you got a plan. So you you got it. Yeah, I love got it. it. The Pirates owner is from West Virginia, too. Oh, okay. Rob Nutting. Sense. Yeah, so uh, there's okay. a couple of... Uh, yeah, there are a couple layers there, but anyway, West Virginians, West yeah, Virginians they're are everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. West Virginians are everywhere. I might have to. I might have to break into country roads. Please, the crowd would, that would be, yeah, they probably would. <laughs> West Virginia Day, of course. Yeah. Well, like you said, Peter, music is borderless. It's universal. Makes people feel like people. You did that for so long. You continue to do it, Peter. Thank you so much for jumping yeah. on with us today. That was absolutely incredible, and. uh However, we can promote you in the future. Let us know when the book's out. We'll make sure we'll get some copies. But um, absolutely, man. Thank you for for joining us today. I appreciate you guys having me. Would love to be back on. It's great to meet you both, CJ and Cooper. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.